We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You may have noticed there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. So that can you see your coworkers cracking open at your 9 a.m. meeting? It isn't beer. It's liquid death. So why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Drinking water from a freezing cold can is actually way more refreshing than a bottle. Trust me. Plus, it is way better for the environment and the economy. They're still, they're sparkling, mango chainsaw, buried alive, and my personal favorite, severed lime. And they are now armed with three grams of agave nectar for even more brutal flavor. So I'm going to enjoy this can of lime, and you can go get Liquid Death at your local Target, Walmart, or 7-Eleven. Or you can find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hey, everybody! Welcome. It is November first. Welcome to a new month, two thousand and twenty-two. Here is hoping it is a November to remember, as the great Bo Schembechler once used to say. I'm your host tonight. I am Jacob Westendorf. I am not a full crew tonight either. It's, again, a skeleton crew here, but I don't have Ross Uglum. He's got like 17 kids, and it's Halloween night, so he's out trick-or-treating. I have pawned my children off on my mother, so she will be babysitting them for the evening, and she loves it. So I am solo in my house, so I can record. Uh, And I am joined by the more handsome version of the Jacobs, and that is uh, Jacob Stack. And I want to congratulate you personally uh, Mr. Morley, I do want to tell you, first of all, though, that it is a crying shame that the hashtag for your wedding was not stack success. Well, the Packers haven't won a game since I've been married, so that's cool. 
Um, we're off to a great start here over in the stack household. Uh, luckily, my lovely wife now, Sarah, does not give two craps about Green Bay Packers football or football in general. So uh, Sunday afternoon slash evenings have been just kind of me by myself on my couch with my dog. And uh, she does other things like goes to Target and probably brunch. more enjoyable. It, I, I would 100% agree that it uh, definitely is probably more enjoyable than what we have been uh, put through these last several weeks. Four weeks. Four weeks of bad football. Um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of moral victory stuff going around about the game in Buffalo. And I kind of... I felt that way kind of right away, but then after that, and after I kind of slept on it, Jacob, the Bills were playing with their food, right? I mean, this is a team that this really was not a close game. I know that the stats were there, and you know what? We'll get into, like, there was positive stuff to take away from this game. Don't get me wrong. There absolutely is, so I guess, like, there are some moral victories, but to say... The moral victory is, well, we went out with Buffalo and we competed with them. Uh, no, they didn't. No. No, they didn't. No. They didn't like, compete I, with them. So here, here's the thing, and I'm going to, like, cross sports a bunch. Um, one thing, and there aren't a lot of things that Aaron Boone says or does as the manager of the Yankees that I approve of, but one of them that he always says is it's not a hitting contest, it's a scoring contest when they say, like, well, the team out hits you uh, in the game similar sort of stats going around after last night's game. Like it's not a yardage contest. It's not a first downs contest. It's a scoring contest. And and the reality of the situation is you could throw all those yards and all those numbers out there. And that's cool. Those things, they're not irrelevant, but the Packers did all those things and still only scored 17 points. So what are we even talking about here? Now, like you mentioned the bills, it was 24 to seven. Then it was like you could say it was should have been 24 to 14 after an egregious offensive pass interference penalty goes against Tunyon, takes four points off the board. Fine. But then it's 27 14 still. Like the Packers, after they were down two scores, they never got within one score. And Crosby missed a field goal at the end of the game because of the field goal operation. Like the Bills are, it felt to me like Green Bay never had a chance to win once Josh Allen scored that first touchdown early in the game or through the touchdown pass to Dawson Knox. It never felt like they were in the game. And frankly, it felt like the two teams were playing different sports. And that's kind of the most sobering part of this discussion is the Packers entered the year as Super Bowl favorites. And right now they're three and five. They're mired in a four-game losing streak. And against teams that other than Buffalo, they're better than. Like, they're better. They're, they're, they should be, I should say. They should have been better than three of the four teams that they've lost to on this losing streak. And now, Green Bay is supposed to be a team that pushed all their chips to the center and was at the top of the mountain and just trying to get over that hump. Well, now they're trying to get over the hump of mediocrity. Now they're trying to get over the hump of, are you like a bad team or a really bad team? You know, and Aaron Rodgers, I, I appreciate the optimism publicly, I appreciate, you know, I know it sounds like stupid to the, you know, the innocent bystander when he's like, oh, this, you know, we're struggling. This might be the best thing for us. Just those different things he said. I appreciate him saying those things publicly because what's he supposed to say? Ah, no, nah, we suck. We're screwed. Like we got to, we got to like 
blow this whole thing to pieces. You can't do that. But at the same time, there has yet to they be. Might. They might suck and they might be screwed. <laughs> that's what I'm getting at is there might be a half of football. Like if you combine all the quarters they played, there might be three or four of them that indicate this team is any good. Like there is no, for everyone that's like, oh, I'm confident they have so much talent. They'll turn it around. Like all this stuff. I don't know if they do, you know, and that's the thing is when we talk about talent, that can be subjective. First of all, um, cause like Darnell Savage is talented, but he's not a good football player. That's proven. I think at this point, Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas look like regression. Can they were regression candidates. They both look like they've regressed. Eric Stokes, sophomore slump. Aaron Rodgers, not as bad as like the people that say he needs to be thrown out of the NFL, but he hasn't played well either. It is a very precarious position that Green Bay is in right now. And I think I wrote a story today for Pack Report, and we could certainly talk about it, but I think that it, a lot of the issues lay at the feet of Brian Gutekunst right now. And and we can get more into that, but I just wanted to get your you know thoughts on Everybody, you know, it's like, here's the thing. Everybody's to blame. There's nobody that's blameless in this problem. Like, it's not just Joe Barry. It's not just Matt LaFleur. It's not just Aaron Rodgers. Like, it's not just the receivers. It's everything. But, you know, where do you find the fault? I mean, it's if you would look at this team in the offseason and say, like, hey, if they're going to struggle, these things need to happen. And it's like, oh, well, if two or three of these things happen, you know, if Javondre Campbell takes a step back, if Rasul Douglas takes takes a step back, um, if, uh, you know, maybe Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins aren't healthy, you know, and they don't play up to their standard or there's weird stuff going on there. Like, all that has happened. <laughs> like, all that has happened. Like, everything you could have pointed to and said, hey, this is bad. And we don't want this to happen because it's going to be really tough if it does. Like, I mean, go down the list and literally everything that is bad that could have happened has happened. Like uh, the offensive line is not playing as well. That's affected Aaron Rodgers. That's affected uh, the young guys at receiver. Oh, the plan for them at receiver was I don't really know. But we all just assumed, hey, Matt LaFleur's really offense bad is one. Take, a really yeah, bad gonna, one. A really bad one. And not only the LaFleur offense, but we just assumed – Hey, the Packers have the back-to-back MVP, and maybe, you know, maybe in when Rodgers was younger, he could elevate these guys. But asking a quarterback who turns 39 a month from tomorrow to play Superman as one of your blueprints to win a championship. Like we were talking about this pre-show, Morley, and I want to go to this. This is maybe the most frustrating thing that I have with LaFleur, Gudekunst, whoever it is that you know makes these decisions. Those guys are in on those discussions. The whole purpose of firing Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson, which Ted was fired, don't, you know, demotion by promotion, whatever you want to call it, um, was that Rodgers was then not supposed to have to be Superman anymore. Hmm. And he didn't have to be in 2020, for example. He was the MVP of the league, but things were easier for him. 2021, even last year, MVP of the league, but things were easier for him. The blueprint for the 2022 team was one of two things. Number one. Aaron Rodgers elevates this ragtag group, this motley crew of receivers, not to be confused with the greatest musical band of all time, but okay, maybe not, but I really like them. Um, This group of receivers to a better status than what they were or have the best defense in the NFL in a league that is slanted against defense. 
Like, do you know how hard it is to play defense in the modern? Like, the Buffalo Bills are one of the best defenses in the NFL last year. And Tom Brady last year walked up and down the field on them, scored 27 points. Like, that's not dominant defense the way most people think of it. But this Packers team can't score 27 points. They've done that twice. Once against Chicago, who's not an NFL franchise, and once against New England, and it took basically five quarters to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a bad plan. And I think someone laid it out today, and it might have even been Ross, that said maybe it was a red flag all summer when this defense was kicking this offense's ass up and down the field, and it was a not top 20 defense last year. That could have been a red flag, but we all just were like, oh, the defense is playing well. They're playing with fire. They're a confident bunch. And they're they're I mean, they're not. <laughs> they're not good. Um, they're fine. You know, it, this deep the the sad part, Jacob, is like this defense on like a normal Aaron like a 28, 29 year old Aaron Rodgers team, or even like the last couple of years, like this defense is probably a little bit better um, than what they've had, but it's not good still, and that's an issue. And to to your point too, like this was supposed to be the next evolution of Matt LaFleur's offense. We talked about that. We said that. I said that. Like, okay, they don't need Devontae Adams. They just need some – they need guys. They just need, like, three or four dudes that are pretty good NFL players. But, like, the problem is is they just didn't go out and get those guys. They said their plan was let's take uh, a Christian Watson, who I love, who I think Christian Watson's going to be a really, really good NFL player. Let's take Romeo Dubs, who I love and I think is going to be a really good NFL player. But, like, to, to take those guys and them – those two guys are their best option at receiver right now. Like I, I, I like Alan Lazard, but he is what he is. And that's not like a true number one. Like Alan Lazard is not going to ascend into a true, like number one receiver. Do- Dobbs and Watson could, but it's not going to happen this year. So now you're left with a bunch of guys who are inconsistent, who you don't know what you're going to get on any given week. And then you look at a team. I mean, like look at Kansas city, what they did. They, and it's an easy parallel to make because they traded their top receiver as well. Tyree Kill is now in Miami, leading leading the NFL in receiving, mind you. But Kansas City's offense has seemingly not missed a beat. And that's because, one, they had Travis Kelsey, which is, like, let's not forget that. They, they traded their number one wide receiver away with knowing damn well they had someone that was going to be reliable week in and week out there for them. But then they go out and get Juju Smith-Schuster. They go out and get MVS, and, they, and then they supplement through the draft. And like that is what I wanted the Packers to do. Like go get, go get a few guys that maybe are not Devonte Adams clearly because no one really is. But go give me two guys who are, you know, good NFL receivers, and then let them work through this offense. Let them let them evolve this Matt Lafleur's offense. But right now, you saw it Sunday night. You we all saw it in the two minute drive, two minute uh, the two minute hurry up offense. Jacob, bad, like. Rodgers out there spoon feeding these guys, and I've been critical of Rodgers as much as hey, anyone. Who needs spring ball and preseason and all that right. sort of stuff. I, mean, I was cause, wrong, cause, and I'll be the first one. I sit here. I said on this platform. I said spring ball mattered. I said preseason didn't, and I was wrong. The Packers right now certainly look like they could have used some help on offense and, frankly, defense as well. One point I do want to get to real quick about your receivers bit is I know the optimist view, and I tend to be optimistic was that the Packers offense will be better because they can spread the ball around and they get like to who's, who's, the, 
So that's the thing is number one to who and number two, I said, I made this comparison a bunch this off season. I don't know if people like got the gist of it because we're always talking about, oh, you got to scheme these dudes open. You got to get these dudes open. You got to find ways to get these guys open. It's like, that is how Chip Kelly viewed his Philadelphia Eagles when he traded Deshaun Jackson. He let go of Jeremy Macklin. He traded LaShawn McCoy and basically said, my scheme is better than yours. I can plug in any skill position guy that exists and away we'll go. And guess what? He was wrong and he was unceremoniously fired. Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. That is almost not to say both of them don't matter because they certainly do, but that is always the way to go. The Packers told you basically when they were like, oh, hey, Anytime Gutekunst was asked, Rodgers, LaFleur, all of them, what are you going to do at receiver? Well, Allen's going to get more opportunities. You know, we still got Cobby, and, you know, we like we like Sammy Watkins, and obviously then they drafted the two kids, and, and we're like, oh, we're excited about them. But it was like you're asking too much of a quarterback that, you know, because the other note that you made is, well, Kansas City, they let go of Tyreek Hill, and, yes, they still had Travis Kelsey. You know what else they had? The best quarterback in the NFL for the last four years – and the best head coach in the NFL for maybe the last decade. Well, not that long, but quite a while. Andy Reid is one of the best coaches in the NFL right now, I think, the best. So, And that's, it's and Jacob, that's, that's the point too, right? Is like, if this was 26, 27, 28-year-old Aaron Rodgers, it probably would be fine. Like, he probably would be going God mode every week and and doing that. But to like your earlier point as well, He's not that guy anymore. He can still be an MVP quarterback because he has been the last two years. But the last two years, he's had a supporting cast that was in tune with what he wanted. And and it's it's not – and honestly, it's not just losing Devontae. It's losing MBS. It's losing EQ. Guys that he's played with for a long time that can look at him and, and essentially say, at least I know what he's – like, I see the same coverage. I know what my quarterback is looking at. Right now, you know, Dubs is getting there, but that doesn't happen in a half of a season. Uh, Watson has not even hardly played with him because he's been hurt. Uh, Watkins has been hurt. Lazard's hurt now. Cobb is hurt now. So, like, even the plan that they had laid forth at the receiver position, um, it's just – it was a bad one. And and we talked about this before the show, too. When they traded Devontae Adams, my first thought was they have a plan. Like, they have to have a plan. They – if this was their plan, it was bad. It's a bad one. Bad one. And if that is, and we talked about, you know, we talked about it all off season too. Like, oh, DK's out there, Lockett's out there. Uh, they can trade for one of those guys. Uh, Debo Samuel's is available. Maybe they'll trade for him. They, they didn't. <laughs> you know, they didn't. And I don't know if those things were ever actually even more than just rumors on the internet. Um, you know, I know we had heard from multiple people that they had called around, but I think people are always calling around. Um, Any competent NFL franchise is always going to be working the phones, just trying to see what shakes loose. Right. But man, I just don't know. They've got, you know, this time tomorrow, you might be listening to this. The trade deadlines tomorrow too. And that's the other interesting thing too, Jacob is they've got one foot in the seller's pool and they've got one foot in the buyer's pool. And that's not where you want to be, especially thinking like, okay, Hey, Hey, Carolina wants a first round pick for DJ Moore. Okay. If I was six and one, seven and one, six and two, something, I would probably be like, hell yeah, do it. Because our pick's going to be in the late 20s. Imagine trading for DJ Moore now and sending a first and that pick ending up being a top 12 pick. Not worth it. Not worth it. Can't do it. 
So now you've got that gamble that you have to have in the back of your mind, too, is like, well, our picks might be higher, higher than we're used to this year. So we, we have to value them a little bit differently than we have in the past. Because honestly, in the past, if Carolina comes to me, like if this were last even hell, if this were last year with Devontae on the team still, and you know that you're going to be the one seed and Carolina goes, hey, do you, we, we're shopping DJ Moore. Would you send a first for him? I would, yeah, I would. But you just can't think that way now anymore. And Jake, this is something too that we've talked about for 18 minutes now. We haven't mentioned one time about the regression of the offensive line. And how the pass catchers and all that stuff, like that's all fun and dandy. But if they can't block, it doesn't matter. And and I think that's interesting too. And I want to get your take on this because I said yesterday during the game, like, hey, the the promotion of Adam Stanovich has been a disaster. And yeah. I don't think I don't think Stano's a bad coach at all. I think just you know us just thinking like they would seamlessly transition into him being the OC. Um, it hasn't been seamless at all. I think losing Getzy, I think losing Hackett was bigger than we maybe thought. Just the just the different two different minds in the room putting game plans together. But not only that, but I think taking Stenovich out of his role as the offensive line coach has we've we've seen we've seen kind of the the, the backslide from some of these guys. And you know, t- some of it too could just be you know the the Bakhtiari stuff, which has been weird, but. Hell, when Bakhtiari's played, the last two times he's played, Jacob, he's been great. He's been very good. Uh, Ellen Jenkins seemingly has taken a step back. I think that has something to do with the injury. But then even so, like they had injury, injured guys last year, and they, they seemingly pieced it together and had good offensive line groups. So I do want to get your take on that, like the offensive line play, and just like what are your thoughts on these guys that have had to move around within the coaching staff and maybe the guys they, they plugged and played aren't playing. You know, it's not working like they thought it would. Hello, friends. By now you've heard me talk about the new brand of water that looks like tall boys of beer, Liquid Death. This crisp, refreshing mountain spring water from the Alps that comes in still, sparkling, and three unique flavors is by far and away the best brand of water on the market. One of my favorite aspects of Liquid Death is that most water companies use plastic bottles, which is beyond terrible for the environment. Most of the plastic you throw into a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. But aluminum is infinitely recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities, hence why Liquid Death uses aluminum cans. Most importantly, the water tastes great. I can't get enough of the lime sparkling water and my family has been drinking them nonstop. It's always fun seeing our sons get crazy looks as they are downing tall boys out in public as well. If you haven't tried Liquid Death yet, what are you waiting for? You can get Liquid Death at your local Target, Walmart, or 7-Eleven. Or find a Liquid Death retailer near you using their store locator at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. Yeah, and it's not just that. It's something that it's a gripe I've had with LaFleur since he got here, and it didn't matter over the first couple of years. But it's the have the Packers played the same group of five offensive linemen in any game like back to back weeks this season, whether because of injury or performance? I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Like I'm asking, but even if they have, they just they they're not able to get this continuity. And the Packers have kind of since LaFleur's been here spit in the face of what any offensive lineman who talks says all the time playing with the same guys matters. Like, and it's not just the guy next to you. It's the guy two doors down from you. It's the guy at the other, like just knowing what you're going to have. Walking. You know, the best offensive line that the Packers have, and this is debatable between 2020 with Bakhtiari Jenkins, Turner, uh, Corey Lindsley and Lucas Patrick with the 2014 group of Bakhtiari sitting Lang Lindsley and Brian Balaga that group in 2014 played all those games together. 2020, even kind of the same thing until Bakhtiari obviously famously blew his knee out. The Packers, they can't keep guys healthy enough. Guys haven't been able to stay healthy to play. Uh, they went from they went from having Zach Tom as like this solution discussed to, I don't know, he kind of struggled last night at guard. Royce Newman's a guy that they really like, and I don't fully understand what he's done on the field in a game to earn that. Maybe he's really good in practice. I don't know. That's the other part of this that's – it's hard because, you know, I watch – anybody listen, like – and the Badgers aren't all that different from this, so I could say this too, so you guys kind of understand it that way. But I watch the Michigan Wolverines play every Saturday, and Michigan's identity is very clear. We are going to come into this game. We're going to line up with 11 guys, and we are going to ram the ball down your throat. And they can do that because they recruit that way. They know they're, they know they're thinking that way. They recruit backs and, and their identity and, and all that stuff is based around that. They're road graders. They're built to do that. The Packers aren't. Like last night when they lined up on fourth and one and they had that condensed formation and they basically ran the ball into a 10-man box, like Michigan, good Wisconsin teams in previous years, they might be able to convert that because they can just line up and ram the ball down your throat. Green Bay can't do that. They're and not- that was, and that is exactly, you know, you talk about imposing your will. And at the time, I was like, whatever, they're they're jamming the ball down their throat. Go do it, you know. And that was eye opening because one, you look at the Bills, and today all that info came out about like the light boxes they were playing in that whole second half, which you probably could have guessed that just by watching the game. But the Bills, one hundred percent, absolutely were saying, run the ball. We don't care. Get four yards of carry. Get five yards of carry. I don't care. It Take was eight the yards. Dom Capers, Take. Mike Pettin, yeah. school of defense, you know, whatever old phrase. 100% you know, how the Packers used to play, and we would get so upset about it. Like, they gave up so many yards on the ground. It's like, yeah. Because they wanted them to drive the field and take seven minutes off the clock. And if you score, cool. We'll get the ball back and score in two. 
and and whatever. And then, but the point is when that it, it was fourth and one, and the Bills just said enough. They did. They said enough. We're, we will stop you now. Okay, and they did hard. And so, like that's that's what you kind of look at and you say, like, oh well, the silver lining is they ran the ball well, and they did. They ran the ball well, but they, it was an advantageous moment. And I think they'll run the ball well again next week because Detroit's defense is like a special level of bad. But maybe, I don't know. The Packers have seemingly played worse. They don't play down to their opponents. They play down and then they get, they limbo underneath them somehow. So it's just, man, this is just a frustrating team to watch. And I don't know what the fix is. We have not even gotten to the defensive side of the ball, which it's super embarrassing when I have people. People that cover other teams in the NFL in my DM saying like, yo, who's 31? That was embarrassing. And I have to say, oh, that's uh, that was Adrian Amos. Oh, I thought he was good. I was. Yeah, he was good. I don't know what happened to him. There's another guy. If you push the button, say, well, if this happens, that's bad. Adrian Amos falling off a cliff because he's falling. He doesn't have a parachute. And I don't, I don't understand that one. He Am, Amos has at least made a few plays this year that make you go, "Oh, he's still in there." But man, that's just how it's it is, tough. though, right? Like it usually happens quickly, and then you pair that with you were hoping that maybe a slight regression from Amos gets you a progression from Darnell Savage, and they haven't gotten that. Here's the problem, too: is defense is so random and wild from year to year. And the other problem is really this: when we talked, and granted, I. <laughs> I got labeled a pessimist, and I was very open about that. Number one, Ross Uglum, too, because we talked about this last week. The defense last year was not good. They finished 22nd in defensive DVOA from football outsiders. As we sit here right now on October 31st, they are 23rd. So they have actually gotten slightly worse. But they weren't good last year. They finished good against a team that had an injured sock puppet playing quarterback. Mm -hmm. And San Francisco, San Francisco was not a good team offensively. And that is ultimately why they made the switch from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance because they knew that wasn't enough. Now they ended up having to go back for various reasons. But Green Bay's defense wasn't good last year. Like they had the shutout against Seattle and they had that big game against Mahomes when he was struggling in Kansas City. And, and Kyler, that, that was a three-game stretch. Kyler, and even, Russell, and even the uh-huh. Kyler game, like they scored 24 points, and if not for a brain fart by A.J. Green, it would have been 31. Like it wasn't that great. It was a good game, but it wasn't like that great. That, was, like, where you're thinking- that, that, game, that game is one that whistle-effing started this Packers team too because if you remember, they put that game away with Aaron Jones crossing the plane and yeah. then seemingly didn't, and then they went down and did that, and it was like, a, wow – ball don't lie type moment the ball has been lying this year let me tell you what because holy cow i'm not to get off subject like this is not why they're bad they're just not good and sometimes bad teams just don't catch breaks and that's just kind of how it goes but that is very much what we are seeing I, i cannot i can't think of one time there was like a 50 50 call where it's like oh it went the packers way like it just seemingly has not gone their way this year i mean even like the Quay Walker force out, the the uh, poke out that he had last night. That's a great play by him. And the ball's sitting in your lap. And he had no idea. Like, what is happening? The ball's right there. Just pick it up. But he just was laying on Stephon Diggs. And then on top of that, Eric Stokes has his hand on the ball. Stephon Diggs 
back is facing the ball and somehow Stephon Diggs got the ball. Like, what? How is this happening week after week after week to this team? And the, I think the answer is just they're not good. And when you're yeah, when your margin for error is smaller, yeah, yeah, and when your margin for like good teams create their own luck. I said that all the time when the Packers would they'd be like, oh, the Packers are the luckiest team, or you know, Bear fans would be pissed about that. I'm just like, no, good teams they make their own because when you're good, when you drop 35, 40 points in a game, that's just a footnote, right? That's oh yeah, that was weird. Remember when? Yeah, that was weird. Quay Walker didn't get the ball on that, huh? Oh well, they still won by twenty. Right, you know, like that. Like, oh, that's yeah. exactly what the Bills are saying today. Like, oh, remember when Josh Allen threw that weird red zone interception to Jair Alexander? Oh, yeah, that was kind of weird. Oh, well, we won by ten, so yeah. not a big deal. The biggest issue that I have, and we talk about the defensive side of the ball to, to kind of steer back the ship here, was that asking a defense that has never been elite to be elite was a bad bet, and like, there's nobody. There's no track record of like big time success with this. Like Ross will talk about Joe Barry every chance he gets, but like Barry's track record is bad. He's never finished in the top third or the middle third of the league. As far as his defensive metrics go, like there's nothing there for, there's nothing that inspires confidence about him. The Packers, even their good players like Rashawn Gary is having a really good year and still only feels like he's having a good year, not a great one. And some of that is because he's kind of doing the Clay Matthews thing where he's hunting sacks and running himself out of plays in the run game. Packers defense doesn't set the edge. They don't play with fundamentals. The defensive line that was supposed to be this like dominant group stink. It's still just Kenny Clark and maybe TJ Slayton and some is Jerry is Jerry. Jerry Montgomery is, would be the first coach I'd fire on that defensive side of the ball. And I, and he's their D line coach. Like, dude, they've given you, They've given you tools. They've given He basically you did. Do you remember? <laughs> he did that press conference where they were asking him, like, what do you need on the defensive line? And he basically explained all of the characteristics of Devontae Wyatt. And now they do have Devontae Wyatt. And he's played 57 yep. snaps this season. And, like, my thing is I'm not a – I'm not a, like, trade or change these guys out and it'll fix everything thing. But, like, why – at this point, why can't Wyatt – take some of the snaps that Dean Lauer is getting or that Jerron Reed is getting because neither one of those guys are doing anything special. Reed is at least occasionally creating a pressure. Lowry has been just dog water this year. And he's and that's sad to me because he's someone that I actually went to bat for all offseason because – He was coming off the best year of his career. Yeah, and you're like, hey, he played really well last year. Give him a chance. He's going to – nope, another regression guy. Just another guy that regressed, and he has regressed really far. Um, and he's also a guy I think that they can still actually save money if they do something with – and he's always been that guy, right, where it's like, ah, cut Dean Lowry. It's like, well, Dean Lowry is a player. Cap space is not a player. But at this point, Cap space might be a better player than him. You're like, we are getting to that conversation where it's like, see what you have in your first-round draft pick. Why did you take him if you're not going to play? I mean, I, it sounds obvious. It's dumb. It's dumb that I'm saying this out loud. Why did you take him if you're not going to play him? Why? Like, it's a first-round pick. Take someone else then. Who's you 24 know, like, years old, by the way? That's the other part. Like, I know yeah. the age discussion and all that stuff. Like, if he's a good player, like, honestly, like, it's the same in Chicago. Like, if Vellis Jones turns into a good player, they're not going to care how old he was when he got drafted. Devontae Wyatt, same thing here. But if he's 24 years old, he needs to make an impact and an impact early. And the Packers haven't done that. And I would love to have that question asked of somebody when Gutekunst has his post game or postseason press conference, whenever that is, just saying like, hey, you took Devontae Wyatt. 
he played 13% of snaps. Like what's the, you know, what's the thought process there with a team that's trying to win right now? Like you took two dudes in the first round on defense trying to win right now. And they, neither one of them turned out. What's the thought there? Why that? I don't know. Then you talk about really honestly, because the defense is just a microcosm of the way this team was built. And I, I wrote an article today for Packer report and basically said in it, the problem that I have is since Gutekunst has gotten here and he's talked about it, big intimidating offensive line. We want to tie everything to the run game, which is a Matt LaFleur thing. That's not to say that they, you know, that wasn't to say they would ignore the passing game. This isn't a, they should have drafted a receiver in the first round thing either. Cause I don't really care about that, but they haven't made any significant investments in their skill group. And it's the chickens have come home to roost at this point. And the comment I made was Gutekunst has built a team to win the big 10 instead of to win a Super Bowl because he wants to play tough physical defense and run the football. And that's just a really hard way to win in 2022. Cause if you look at the Super Bowl champions, since the Packers last hoisted their Lombardi trophy, two of them have won with what you could say is that identity, the Seattle Seahawks in 2013 and the Denver Broncos with the corpse of Peyton Manning in 2015 led by Von Miller. The Packers are poorly built. They're poorly constructed and the idea of Gutekunst trying to like zag while this entire league is zigged and the entire league is slanted. Uh, listen, I don't love it when a quarterback gets a penalty thrown for him when he gets breathed on either. I don't love it when they call a legal contact on a play that turns into a fumble return for a touchdown like they did in Washington. I don't love the emphasis on defensive pass interference, but guess what? You know who does? The NFL. Because the NFL slants everything towards the offensive side of the ball. And they're the vocal minority that says, oh, I want these games to be 17 to 13 or whatever. You're outnumbered, man. There just aren't that many of you. And if Gutekunst is one of those guys, sorry, man, that is just not a feasible way to win in 2022. And I know the Packers have lost a lot of games to teams like that over the years. But the counterpoint that I had, how many of those teams won a championship? The 49ers have zero Super Bowls, and they are like the poster child for that. Since even go back to Jim Harbaugh when Harbaugh was coach, no titles. Seattle, one title, and the team that beat Green Bay didn't win that championship. They lost. The Giants, that's not really what their identity was, anyways. They were built around a pass rush and Eli Manning throwing the ball up and praying. Like they are poorly built, and I think that Brian Gutekunst is the one who deserves a lot of the blame for the way this season has gone. Cause Jake, when you talked earlier about what was their plan, he's the guy who's supposed to have the plan. And I talked last week about how he's flip-flopped a bunch of times and this isn't to discredit or this isn't to go down the Jordan love rabbit hole again. But again, you've changed so many times what your direction of this franchise is. You know, the first year you clean everything out, you do all that. You make an unexpected run to the NFC championship game after an all in push. Then you draft the quarterback of the future quarterback of the present says, okay, well, screw you guys. I'm going home. Said in my Eric Cartman voice, say, no, 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 no. We want you back. We want you back. We want you to come back. Okay. Then you have another year you go, you lose in the divisional round and then you're at the crossroads. The fork in the road is right there. And do you have the courage of your convictions to go with the direction you set forth in 2020 when you drafted Jordan Love? The answer is no. You can argue that Gutekunst was in a lose-lose situation because Rodgers had won the MVP in back-to-back years. My counter argument is that that is a situation that Brian Gutekunst created 
and now the results are poor. This team looks like one that is old. They look like one that is slow, and they look like a team that is headed towards purgatory paying a quarterback $50 million that they had to beg to come back. I think Brian Gutekunst deserves a lot of blame, and it starts with him trying to – do you guys remember – here are the other two examples I used, and Morley, maybe you don't remember this, but do you remember – here's one. Phil Jackson gets called out of retirement to be to run the New York Knicks and is basically like he's the president of basketball ops, but he's essentially the head coach. And they're trying to run the triangle offense that Michael Jordan ran back in the days of the 90s where you could put guys in the triple post and floor spacing just didn't matter as much as it does certainly. Now, it didn't go well for Phil Jackson. And then we all kind of pointed and laughed at John Gruden when he said he wanted to throw the game back to 1998. And prior to his transgressions that came to the light, it wasn't going well for John Gruden in Oakland either. It's not going well for Brian Gutekunst now as he's built a team to try and win with defense and run the football. That is just not a strategy that I think can be overly successful. You're betting on an outlier. And I think betting on an outlier is a bad way to do it, especially true when you have the MVP of the league in your back pocket. I think Gutekunst has earned a lot of criticism that has come his way. Yeah, I think it is tough because I don't know what, the right call was, I mean, looking back, it's easy to say like, yeah, they should have traded him. And, and I was on board. I would have been on board with that. I really would have. And we've talked about that, that I think I would have taken the hall. I would have I, taken the hall. And I don't believe in Jordan love. Like you obviously would have taken the hall. I think you do believe in Jordan. Well, love. And like good. That's the other, this is the other part that's frustrating though. Brian Gutekunst believes in Jordan love. He yeah. traded up and drafted him. Maybe he doesn't though. Maybe he doesn't believe in him anymore. You know, then why the hell did you pick him? Well, because he thought he was better than he was. <laughs> I don't know. He's, I mean, he's the one that's seen him in practice for three years. But That's true. Uh, Maybe I should but chill on also, that. Also, I mean, Rodgers made him play, force their hands. He did. Like He play, he was the back-to-back MVP. What are you going to do? I mean, I, I just don't. That's fine. I mean, you, but you, again, okay, so he's the back-to-back MVP. Then you re-sign him and you do everything to win today right now and they didn't do that that is a lack of direction and and sometimes here's the other part who uh, i can't remember who it was there was a guy it was a baseball guy said if you try and be like smart with every free agent and trade you'll finish third in every single one of those and i know that like that's kind of the pacifier that we all have when the packers don't move up and like like right now for example and I still kind of agree with the general premise. The Packers would have had to give up another first round pick to go up and get Justin Jefferson because they would have had to get from 30 to 20. Should okay. Maybe not, Should maybe not, it. you know, maybe not in a normal sense. And that's not a great one-to-one example because of everything that was going on at the time, but you have to be a little irresponsible and they kind of already have been right. Like they've been half measured, irresponsible, by pushing money out to the future with the salary cap and everything like that. Brian they've Gutekunst. Been, they've been has, irresponsible internally, you know, like with their guys that continue to not get them over the hump. Like that's, that's kind of what's been weird is like, let's continue to ro- run it back with these guys and let's continue to push money out. And like to, to a certain degree, I get that because it's like, yeah, well they were this close the last two years. Maybe this third year they'll be close again, but the ball will bounce their way. And like, I don't know, man. It's just so hard to win in the NFL, and it just it is becoming more and more clear uh, that the window for the Packers with Aaron Rodgers potentially is is shut. Um, the only thing 
man, this is this is gonna sound so Homer, but I I I truly think I think Rogers comes back next year. I don't think he retires at the end of this year. I think physically he still has it, and I think you know with the year of development with these young receivers with him, uh, maybe you know Bakhtiari situation getting sorted out, Ellen Jenkins situation getting sorted out. Maybe it's time for a soft rebuild, you know, where they go back kind of back to the drawing board and figure out what they want to do. But that's that's the optimistic view, right, of this team is saying, like, maybe that happens and maybe next year they come out, you know, gangbusters again and they are may have fixed all their issues and guys are on the same page with Rogers and they're blocking things up better and they drafted, had a good draft class. Like, I don't know. The other point – Kind of is, let's say, let's say some team like Rodgers plays well down the stretch, and some team cough cough maybe the 49ers say, hey, we won't we'll give you the Russell Wilson deal still still for Aaron Rodgers. Do you make that mistake twice? No, no, without blinking, make the deal. And the, the, listen, I think Aaron Rodgers has proven he can still play, but. Andy Herman's talked about it on this platform a bunch. You have to know when it was over. And it was over last January when they lost to San Francisco. It was I over. also don't I don't I don't think Rodgers wants would want to leave. I think he did all this because he didn't want to leave. Right? I, yeah, I mean that's this is a rabbit hole and and I don't and know. We're already I, at 40 minutes. We need to wrap And not up. only that, but like <laughs> if the like here's the here's the easiest way to tell him. Like, hey Aaron, we're gonna try and rebuild a little bit and he said he didn't want to be part of a rebuild after last year. That's all that stuff. Who knows? What I do know is you talk about you talk about fixing their issues and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know how much faith I have in the current general manager to do that. But he's you know that certainly, and I'm open to saying this. That can be a emotional reaction, um, but I think there are plenty of fair questions to be had about the leadership in Green Bay, specifically the general manager. So again, if you wanted. To feel better about the Packers, today was not the show for you. Uh, but hopefully next week is one that they can, coming off a win against the Detroit Lions. Hey, here's here's some positivity for you. If the Packers win the rest of their games... Uh, uh, sorry, Siri just started like picking up what I was saying. I don't know why. Here's some positivity for you. Let's try it again. If the Packers win the rest of their games, they're going to make the playoffs. How many games down the stretch do you think they win? Like, what do you like? Say it right now. It's November first. Would they have what? They're three and five, so that's eight. They have nine games left. What's their record in the last nine? Nine and zero. They win them all. Okay, Morley's got the positivity. They're going to run the table. I'll go three and six. And the Packers. That's going to do it for today's show. Check us out at Packaday Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Westorf. You can follow the newlywed Mr. Morley at Jacob Morley. We'll talk to you guys next week after the Packers take on the Detroit Lions at Ford Field. It is a noon kickoff. Thank God we don't have to wait all day for the game to start and roll from there. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.